Y'all, find your seats. The seniors have vacated the first two rows. All right. Well, welcome back. Let's, uh, let's get started. Listen, this morning, again, it is, like I said, there's a lot of stuff going on this weekend, but this weekend really kind of is set aside because of Memorial Day. And, and just, again, by way of kind of remembering and thinking about that, you know, Memorial Day we do, we honor the memory of these soldiers that fought and died. You know, the soldiers that did that throughout the different eras were not always loved. For those of you that remember the time of Vietnam, those soldiers came back to our country and were not only not loved, they were often despised. And that's a sad time in our history. Today, fortunately, our country has gotten past that and we I think do a decent job remembering and honoring the soldiers that that sacrifice, but you need to understand, if you don't already, that our soldiers are not necessarily loved in the countries in which they serve if they're outside the United States. There's a lot of the world out there that kind of looks at the United States as very arrogant, considering ourselves to be the world police and sending our soldiers in to tell them what they need to do. This is not a political statement. All I'm trying to point out is just the fact that in the world stage today, soldiers aren't necessarily loved and appreciated for all the things that they do. But you know what? They do what they do anyways because they believe in a cause. They believe in the cause of freedom and are willing to put their lives on the line. They're willing to do something about it to the point where many, as we remember this weekend, actually did give their life so that the rest of us can have the right to enjoy it. In fact, soldiers are willing to give their life so that even extremist groups like, maybe you've heard of Westboro Baptist Church, so that they can have the right to protest even against the very soldiers that provide them that right. That's the kind of dedication that they show, and that's the kind of courage that they show, and that's why we love them for it, amen? And so we honor their memory. Now, with that thought in mind, I just kind of want to cause you to consider our Savior, Jesus Christ. Is it really that much different for him? Did he not come into this earth and ultimately pay the ultimate sacrifice of laying down his life so that we could all enjoy freedom, but not just political freedom, but eternal freedom? Do you not recognize that all over this world there's people that don't love Jesus for what he did? That, in fact, they despise him? Obviously, the people of those days that killed him. But even today, people don't appreciate it. But nevertheless, he did what he did. He gave his life. Not just for us, but for those who at the time even were his enemies. And we'll see a little bit about that as we get into the message today. But So I think about the soldiers and I think about the Savior and then I think about us, the believers in Jesus Christ. The Bible calls us saints. And really, this is the application that we'll see in John chapter 15 as we get into that today. And I just want to remind you of a passage in 2 Timothy chapter 2. It should come up on the screen, verses 3 and 4. It says, Thou therefore, writing to Christians, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth and tangle him tangleth himself with the affairs of this life that it may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. So we as believers in Jesus Christ are compared or likened unto soldiers. 
And in John chapter 15, we're in verse number 12, and we're going to go down to the end of the chapter. And what we're really going to look at in the context is uh, the title of this message. It's a deeper look at discipleship. Jesus is in uh, a private time with the 11 remaining disciples after Judas has already left, and he's getting into some real details of intimate uh, sharing of truth so that these men will be prepared because in less than a week, Jesus will have been crucified, and they are going to need to carry on without him. And so he goes into this thing, and so this idea of discipleship, and, and let me just define for you very quickly, discipleship is just simply to be a student or an active, let me say, follower of Jesus Christ. Discipleship is not a set of lessons that you go through and check off your list. Discipleship is following the Savior. That's what it's all about. And so what we're really going to look at in today's message is what are the marks of true discipleship? And we'll see three of them as we come through. So let's read together. You follow along. I'll start reading in verse number 12 of John chapter 15. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Excuse me, if they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not not had sin, but now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now they have both seen and hated both me and my father But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the Comforter is come, who I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. There's kind of a lot in there. We're going to break it down in just a second. Let's take a second and pray. And Heavenly Father, as we look into this and as we consider What are these marks? What are these characteristic traits of people that you consider to be true followers, true disciples? These 11 represent the true, the fake one already left. Please, Lord, open our hearts so that we can grasp what it is you're trying to communicate. Just help us to see the eternal words that you've written, that you've inspired and placed here in this book that we can read and we can understand that can change our lives. I pray that you would change our lives through this message today. In Christ's name, amen. All right, the first thing that we're going to see talks all about love, and we're going to call that the charge of discipleship. 
Love becomes the charge. And if you've been with us as we've walked through this series, especially the last couple of chapters in the book of John, this passage and this idea of this commandment, I command you, love one another, it has been repeated over and over and over again. So there's really not need for me to rehash that same ground, but it does say, this, this is my commandment, that ye love one another. You could glance back to chapter number 13 and verse 34. It was laid out very, very clearly. Now, if you're thinking, okay, we need to love one another, I want to point your attention towards that little word as. We are to love one another as Jesus loves us. So that begs the question, how does Jesus love us? How does Jesus love us? Well, it's made very clear in the context in verse number 13. He says that there isn't any greater love. You lay down your life And that's what Jesus did for us. He laid down his life for us. And in so doing, he demonstrated what that greatest love possibly could be. Therefore, we define the kind of love that he desires for us to have for one another as sacrificial. Without a doubt, it's sacrificial. Does that mean that we ultimately give our physical lives, we no longer breathe air in order to prove our love for somebody? No, ultimately it will deal with a death of your will and yourself and we'll see that in a minute. But it is without a doubt sacrificial because that's the kind of love that Jesus had. He literally gave his life and of course rose again. It says in verse 13, interestingly, just just look again at verse number 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And I read through that and I got to thinking about it because in just a second we're going to look in Romans chapter 5 and in Romans chapter 5 it talks about how great Jesus is and that not only did he lay down his life for his friends and he's directing it to the disciples but in Romans 5 it talks about how he laid down his life for his enemies. Then I thought about John 15, 13 and I thought it says no greater greater love hath no man. Probably the greatest form of love that we could express as men, mere men, is to lay down our lives for our friends. But Jesus is greater than just a man. He was able to lay it down even for his enemies. Look with me in Romans chapter 5. We'll start in verse number 6. It says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man would some even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we should be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And so this greatest love says that you lay down your life for your friends, but Jesus lays down his life for ungodly, sinful enemies. That's how much he loves us. Now, for us in our life, it says love one another that way. Love one another as Jesus loved you. And so the idea is is that we need to focus on a willing, sacrificial experience, that, that we are willing to lay aside our personal desires, our personal comforts, our personal preferences in order to serve the other in order to love and to build up the other. And that's literally what he's talking about. It's a death to self. I can't think of a better place to point you to than Philippians chapter 2 in the first four verses. In Philippians chapter 2, it says this, If there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, 
If any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love as Jesus, by the way, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, notice, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Now, there's probably times in your life that you have done that. There's been times in my life that I've done that. There's times in your life when you don't do that. There's times in my life when I don't do that. But that's the goal. That's the standard. That's the kind of life we need to live. I'll tell you a brief story about my experience, and a lot of you know about the time that I spent in the country of Albania, and and maybe you don't know a lot of the details. This story that I'm going to briefly share with you is one that, quite frankly, I don't tell very often. But I arrived in 1992, and in 1997 and in 1999, for those of you that remember, maybe you do, maybe you don't, there were two brutal wars that took place in the country of Albania. In 19, just for context's sake, okay, I'm in my mid-30s, my wife's in her mid-20s at this time in our lives, and, and in 1997, Marisa, my graduating daughter, it was only two, that's how long ago it was, um, in 1999, Milena, my youngest, was one. So, you know, young married couple, small children, living through a couple of civil wars. And uh, it was a brutal time. It was a terrible time. And uh, a lot of bad things were going on. Obviously, God took care of us. What I want to say is this. Before the bullets ever started flying, before chaos broke out, before anarchy was in all the streets, before any of that ever happened, My wife and I sat down and prayed and agreed that if any of those things ever happened, because Albania is a volatile country, that we wouldn't leave. We made the decision in the light (laughs) before the darkness came that if things got bad, we wouldn't leave. And we didn't. And we were there through those times. And it was a hard time. It was a hard time for us, but it was a willing sacrifice. I guess I could say I was willing to die. Quite frankly, I wasn't in a hurry. I was not interested. I was careful. Trust me. I stayed indoors as much as I needed to, all that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, I made the decision. I'm staying here with these brothers and sisters in Christ who need a shepherd. They're young believers. They don't have the maturity to handle it. They need me to stay here, and I'm going to stay here. And there was a risk to our lives as a foreigner to do that. Many of the missionaries, and I don't mean to judge them, but most all the missionaries that were in that country at that time, and by the way, there were hundreds of missionary families at that time in a very small country. They just, they left. The American Marines came in and evacuated all the U.S. personnel in helicopters and took them out to a battleship out in the Adriatic Sea and took them to Italy to safety and said, go home. Um, You know, we were among very, very, very few expatriates that still stayed in that country. And what a lot of the missionaries, and again, I'm not judging them, but what a lot of the missionaries ended up telling their small, young congregations at that time was, this is a great opportunity for y'all to really trust the Lord. And what they didn't say out loud, but what the Albanians heard, even though they didn't say it, was, yeah, but you're going to trust the U.S. Marines. We trust God, you trust the Marines. Again, no offense to the Marines, no offense to these people, I'm just telling you, There's a level of love and sacrifice that, when demonstrated, is just different. It's just different. 
And as a result of that, we'll see, you know, it's just, it's life-changing. That's the charge. That's what he calls us to. That's what Jesus wants us to do. He, He goes on and he says, he lays down his life for his friends. He says, and ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you. And he just commanded them to love one another. Earlier in the chapter, uh, in the last chapter, we saw how his, you know, if you love me, keep my commandments. And, and we looked a little bit at that. But this is the charge. The charge is to love, not just have good feelings, but to the point of personal sacrifices. Now, let me just ask you this question. What if we really did that? I mean, not just what if I really did it or what if you really did it. What if we all, as a body, really practiced this like I think Jesus intends? Well, then not only are you going to be sacrificially loving those around you, which you're thinking, I know, I know you're doing the math. You're thinking, holy cow, that's, that's going to be tough. That's going to cost me something. We'll talk about that. But everybody else is going to be doing it for you too. That's not so bad. I mean, the mutual love and support that would come from a community of people that really believe and practice what God says, I think it's worth it. I think it makes good sense. And, and you know what? At the end of the day, by the time we get to the end of this chapter, we're going to be talking about hate and persecution and some of that negative stuff. You're thinking, I need the love and support of my Christian family to bolster me up and to hold me up while I'm fighting the world that doesn't seem to care too much for me. You're going to need that, and that's an important thing. Listen, y'all, there's a mission out there, and there's a world of people dying on their way to an eternal hell. And it is worth it for us to do the math and to say, I'll do it. I'll do without. I'll sacrifice. I'll go serve some people. Can I encourage you today just to stop worrying? Stop, forgive me for saying it this way, but stop whining about a lower level of extreme comfort that we have when there's a world that really needs us to just go love them. I think we do that. And it's a mark of true biblical discipleship, truly following our Savior. Well, the second thing I want us to see in verses 16 and 17 is the cause of discipleship, fruit, bearing fruit. Last week, if you were with us, the first 11 verses talked all about bearing fruit. We're going to call this the cause of of discipleship. Maybe you remember the story of David and Goliath, 1 Samuel chapter 17. And young David is on the hillside with the armies of Israel being defied by the giant Goliath. And David talking with his brothers and the soldiers about all this. And he wants to go fight. And his brothers are making fun of David saying, you're just a kid. How can you go fight that big giant? You're just trying to act like a big shot. And David makes this profound statement. He says, is there not a cause? David was probably 17 or 18 years old at that time. Is there not a cause for me to be willing to potentially give my life to defend the God of Israel? And I ask you today, is there not a cause? We talked about bearing fruit, like I said last week, and we did. We looked at the fruit of the Spirit that comes out of Galatians chapter 5, those nine characteristics of personal growth in the Lord Jesus. We talked about the fruit that comes from reproduction, leading others to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ so that Jesus' life can now take place in their lives and be propagated to others as we go forward. 
And some people are sitting here and may be thinking, yeah, but that's only for ordained ministers. That's only for ordained ministers. Okay, let's look at that. Because the definition of the word to ordain, literally, is just to appoint or to set apart for a specific task. And according to verse 16, let's just read it again. Ye have not chosen me, Jesus said, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye, which is Old English for y'all, should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. And so, congratulations, ordained ministers. That's what it says. If you, listen, it's for the disciples. By the way, let me, let me clarify. It's for the disciples. Are you a disciple? Are you a true, we're, we're learning about it today, a true disciple of Jesus Christ? Because if you are, you are ordained. And you are ordained with this cause, with this goal in mind. Bear fruit. Bear fruit. And you know what? The bringing forth of fruit really is obviously growing in Christ, but leading others to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And it says in verse number 16, and that your fruit should remain. Your fruit remaining? That's all part and parcel with the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, where he says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations or make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. We call that discipleship around here, the idea of helping another younger believer grow up in Christ. That's what we just celebrated with the MTT graduates. They finished the elementary level of personal discipleship that many of you have done. They've taken the next step of continuing discipleship. There will be even another step for those who desire it. Our goal is just to help you get as far as you need to go with the Lord. Your fruit should remain, and the fruit will remain as you invest in them to help them grow up and be mature and be able to handle it on their own. And the last thing it mentions in verse 16, it says that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. So true disciples, fruit-bearing disciples that bear fruit that remain tend to be the guys who get their prayers answered. Why might that be? God has special consideration for them, likes them a little better. Of course not. God's no respecter of persons. Would you consider the fact that true disciples, when they pray, maybe their prayers are just a little more biblical? Maybe they're not praying the standard fare of selfish requests that many of us do. Maybe they're praying things according to God's will, which would be in Jesus' name, biblically speaking. When we do that and our will agrees with his will, guess what gets released? Answers from God. That's what he does. That's how he does it. So last week in the first 11 verses of John 15, we talked about how that comes to pass. That fruit bearing comes to pass as we simply abide in Christ, right? He is the vine. We are the branches. If we abide in him, then he's going to bear fruit in us. And that's a wonderful thing. And we defined abiding simply to be to dwell, to continue. In a word, don't quit. Don't run. Don't leave. You abide in his word. You abide in his church. You abide in the ministry that God's given to you. 
during those times in Albania, I'd come across people and Albanian people, and they would say to me, Jeff, why don't you go home like everybody else? And I would say, this is my home. My house is right over there. I don't have another home. And there's just something about staying that makes me think of this principle, that if you abide, so will your fruit. So will your fruit. If you cut bait and run, if you quit on stuff, if you are the kind who starts out well but can't seem to be a finisher, don't be surprised because like produces like. (laughs) Apple trees make apples, not oranges. And so you will produce after your kind, all the way from Genesis chapter 1, that's the Bible principle. If you're a quitter, your fruit likely will be too. If you're an abider, likely your fruit will be too. And it makes perfect sense. And you know what? If we just stopped right here and we talk about the love and we talk about the the abiding, remaining fruit, I don't know about you, but to me, being a disciple sounds pretty awesome. I mean, we're loving people sacrificially, but there's a whole bunch of people loving us sacrificially. And we're out there getting the job done and God's working through us and he's answering prayers and people are getting saved and they're growing up and it's happening again and it's going out and that would just be awesome, but we live in a real world, don't we? We live in a real world where it doesn't always actually play out that way. We live in a world where Christians don't always respond like they're supposed to respond and difficulty comes in to our lives. That's really the whole story. And so we gotta talk about the third mark of true discipleship of truly following Jesus, and that's persecution. I'm calling that the cost of discipleship. Persecution is the cost. I put in your notes, eternal life's a free gift, but following Jesus will cost you something. And that's true. The the purchase of your salvation was done on Calvary when Christ shed his blood for you, and it's a free gift. Just receive it. You don't have to do anything. But to continue to follow Christ day by day, actively in your life, oh, that's not free. You're going to pay the price. You're going to pay the price. You need to understand that. And herein, as they say, lies the rub. We're going to talk a little bit about hate speech. And in verses 18 to 25, Jesus enters into this discussion about the world hating you and it hated me first and if it, that happens, it's, it's really for my sake. And, and he kind of lays all that out. And so what we can expect as true followers of Jesus Christ is to be victims of hatred. I don't know if you ever really thought about that, but it's to be victims of hatred. And I want to draw your attention to this con- uh, in the context of discipleship in Luke chapter 14 and verse number 26. The Bible says this, Lord Jesus talking, he says, if any man come to me, this is a little crazy, just stick with me. Luke 14, 26, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, notice he cannot be my disciple. And some of you are sitting there thinking, that's nutty, 
I don't want any part of that. If that's what your God has to say about having to be a disciple, I got to hate everybody I love, you're crazy. Well, let me just help you. It's truly, if you compare Scripture with Scripture, Jesus is speaking for emphasis. The passage of Scripture that explains this verse is the parallel version of it in Matthew chapter 10, okay? And in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 37, the same story, it's written this way to give you a better understanding. Jesus said, He that loveth father or mother more than me, he that loves his father or mother more than he loves me first is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So the test of being a true disciple is, is that Christ is first and everybody else in your life is awesome. They're just not first. They're just not first. And if somebody else is first before Jesus Christ, I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm saying you're not a disciple because you can't be his disciple. That's what he said. If we went back to Luke 14 and started in verse 27, it goes on because the context hits it. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me, bearing the cross, the, 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 the capital punishment of the day. In other words, willing to die to yourself. If you are not willing to die to yourself and come after me, you can't be my disciple. And then he goes on, he says, For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost? There it is. Whether he have sufficient to finish it. Lest haply after he hath set the, set the foundation, uh, and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. So Jesus Christ is very honest in this passage. He's very open and transparent about the real call to true biblical discipleship. It's real. It gives you the information you need to know and to understand if you are going to choose to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. And can I just tell you from experience, I've been doing this a long time. This is a money-back guarantee. No exceptions. Every single one of us, every single one of us, me and all y'all, we all count the cost. And we all absolutely make our decisions based on how we total that cost. We decide, yes, I'm in, or I'm sort of in, or I'm out. Whatever we decide, we decide it because somewhere in our mind, we counted the cost. And we said, no thanks. Or we said, yes, whatever it might be. But it's a guarantee. We all do it. And we make our decisions, not ignorantly, but we understand. We might not understand the totality of Scripture, but based on what we know. Now, based on what we know, listen, what I'm going to give you are three options. Here's the three options you got in the light of this heartwarming truth we're discussing discussing the first one is you can you can potentially if you want avoid the persecution you can just avoid it and that's what he says in verse number 19 if you were of the world the world would love his own (laughs) you can avoid the persecution can i tell you that there is a real devil he really is the enemy and he don't care if you come to church that's not a big deal. He doesn't care if you live a moral life. I mean, those are good things. By the way, do those things. But it's not that big a deal if you're just a nice guy and you read your Bible and you come to church. As long as you don't bear fruit. 
as long as you don't reproduce the life of Jesus Christ in somebody else. You receive Christ, you're eternally secure, you're going to heaven, whether you like it or not, and you're, 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 doing, you're in. The devil lost on you. As long as you don't reproduce that in somebody else, do whatever you want. You start reproducing the life of Jesus Christ and bearing fruit and that fruit remains and that fruit grows up and reproduces the life and multiplies into somebody else, you've just crossed the line. You've crossed the line into being just a little bit dangerous to the devil. And he's not going to go down without a fight. Just know that. He's not going down without a fight. But if you don't reproduce yourself, you don't reproduce the life of Christ in anybody else, you and the devil get along just fine. He's not going to bother you. The other thing is, is that if you conform to the world's standard of behavior, if you're of the world, if you live like everybody else in the world, you're just going with the flow. You're not going uphill. You're not going against the grain. You get along just fine. So you conform to the world's standard of behavior. I mentioned to the seniors here just a minute ago about James chapter 4, that friendship with the world makes you the enemy of God. But the Bible says very clearly in Romans chapter 12 and verse number 2, it says, be not conformed to this world. So we are not to be conformed to this world and its system of behavior and the things that it calls to be acceptable. We are to live according to a higher standard, and that standard is defined for us in the Scriptures. It says, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so you have to renew your mind by the scriptures being meditated on and studied and learned and understood and then transforming your heart and your will and your desire to live it out differently. And you don't conform to this world. But if you don't do that and you do conform to this world and if an innocent bystander observed your life and didn't really see any difference whatsoever between your life and the life of unsaved nice people that live around you, then you're conforming to the world. (laughs) And you probably don't have any problems with anybody around you because there's no reason why you should. And you know what, sadly? A lot of people that are church members, that's how they choose to live. Let's just be real. A lot of people just don't want the fight. They count the cost. It's just too expensive. I'm just not doing it. And they just won't be a true disciple. Especially those of you that study the Bible and know a little bit about prophecy, when I say we are in the time of Laodicea, you know what that's all about. Maybe if you don't understand that, don't worry about it. The the, the understanding is still clear from the passage. There's just a lot of people who name the name of Christ and just don't live it. There's too many comforts in this world, too many adventures, too many pleasures for people to say no thanks. People want it all. I want it all, man. I want Jesus, and I want the world. I want them both. Lot tried that. Didn't work out too good for Lot. They want to live their version of Christianity that allows for wealth without sacrifice. They want to have fun. But that's not the Christianity that Jesus describes. And so they count the cost, and they say, I'm out. Now, you know, I don't know where, the graduates are over here somewhere, I guess, now. Talk to you for just a second. That's kind of what I was referring to earlier. Opportunities for y'all are just going to grow like crazy. If the graduates are somewhere else, pretend you're over here. And uh, you have every opportunity in the world 
to make your own choices any day, but especially once you kind of leave the protection of your parents' homes. You could say, cost is too high. I'm going to have my fun while I got a chance, man. I'm going for it. Okay, you can do that. But there are real consequences to that kind of a choice. There really are. And, and I don't think that's what you really want for your life in the long haul. What about you? I mean, you don't have to be a high school senior to have this apply, right? What about us? What about all the rest of us? How's that going to play out for you? Can I remind you that the Bible calls this world a present evil world? Can I remind you that it is controlled by the one who's called the God of this world, small g, referring to the devil? That the God of this world has set this world on a course that is the wrong course that you do not want to be on? That's not the path that you want to take. So if you want to be his disciple, then I encourage you to consider the next option, and that's to prepare for persecution. (laughs) A friend of mine says it this way, brace for impact. Verse number 20, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they persecute Jesus, you're not better than Jesus, they're going to persecute you. The good news, by the way, if they listen to Jesus, they'll listen to you. (laughs) Because you're his follower. You represent him. That's just easy. So just as Jesus was persecuted, how was Jesus persecuted? I gave you some categories, okay, some levels. Very quickly, it starts off with dismissal. Do you remember how they just kind of had no respect for him at the beginning? And, and, you know, his teaching was good, but they said, hey, he's not educated in our schools. What school did you go to? How could you possibly know what you know? You're just Joseph the carpenter's son. And they started playing class warfare. You're a a blue-collar working-class guy. You're not of the educated class like we are. And they kind of dismissed him. But it got worse than that because they began to ridicule him. And they began to really taunt him concerning some personal family members, his family status. Uh, They said, you're from Nazareth. Nazareth might sound familiar to a lot of us where we live here because it's just a little town up in the northern part of Israel that really wasn't known for much. Nazareth was, was kind of nothing. And they're like, you're from Nazareth. What good comes out of Nazareth? Worse than that, though, they kind of they called him bad names, man. They said that he was born of fornication. We, we have a word we use in English for people who are born of fornication. I debated whether I'd say it out loud in church. I think I'm not going to say it. It's not a good word. That's what they called him. That's what they called Jesus. They ridiculed him. Not only that, they scrutinized every single thing he ever did. He stands now as different and unique against the world system, and they start to, I mean, just just intimate detail, scrutinize every deed and every word he ever spoke. They looked for any way possible to see if they could catch him in a fault. They tried to quiz him with questions and ask him tricky questions to see if they could catch him. And of course, you can never catch the Lord Jesus. He's perfect. By the way, if that happens to us, they'll catch us. We're not Jesus. We have fault. We will blow it. The more fruit you produce, the more attention you get, the more people stare at you. By the way, lawyers, no offense really, they're really good at that. 
In other words, if I can't discredit the factual statements you're making about a subject, I will discredit you as an individual and therefore discredit what you're trying to say when the two aren't necessarily connected. And that's what they tried to do to Jesus. By the way, that's what they'll try to do to you. That's what they'll try to do to you. Lastly, intimidation. They looked to beat him. Eventually they did. And the, and the worst of all is just removal. He's got to go. And they kill him. So in your life, you're counting the cost and you're thinking about these things and, and, and you consider what might wait for you. You want to bear fruit. You want to give God glory. You want to have this love. You want to receive it. You want to walk in his steps. Can you handle these levels as they come into your life? I mean, what have you experienced already? I'm sure that many of you have experienced much of this. What is it that you're currently experiencing? What is it that you're currently struggling with? What are the things? Know this. If it's happening to you, it may be because you're doing everything right. It may be because you're following in Christ's footsteps. It may be because as they did to him, so will they do to you. Don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. Don't be put off by it. Don't be discouraged. Why did that happen to Jesus? Well, in verse number 22, it says, If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. So Jesus comes, he speaks truth. He pulls away the cloak that would have covered their sinfulness and shines the bright light of truth on their life. And they're like, I cannot stand the truth and so they begin to have this visceral reaction against the one who is presenting the truth if you speak truth today in many instances especially concerning eternity and ultimate truth does our society not now does our society not now categorize that as hate speech but is that not really the most loving thing you could possibly do is to tell them what God Almighty said to help them keep their eternal souls out of hell. That's what his preaching did. He goes on and talks about his life. His sinless life was a rebuke to them because he had no sin. He didn't do anything wrong. If you're suffering through any of these things, can I just tell you, you're in good company? Can I tell you that it's not about you? (laughs) This persecution that might come in your life is, it's because of Christ. It's because he's working in you. It's for his namesake. According to verse 25, it says that they persecuted him without a cause. They hated him for no reason. There was no justifiable reason. They had the reasons, but no justifiable right reason why they should have been able to do that. And eternity one day will set the record straight. It absolutely will set the record straight. But until then, here's my advice for you. It's our last option. Embrace the persecution. Just embrace it. Don't fight it. Remember the whole David thing? Is there not a cause? We're not going to go to it. Go home and read this if you got a chance. Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 5. Of course, after the resurrection of Christ, his ascension into heaven, the apostles received the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. Peter is preaching. And the apostles start doing some amazing things. In Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5, Peter and John are going into the temple and pray, and there's a guy begging who's lame. 
and he wants alms, and they say, silver and gold have we none, but, you know, that what we have. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And they heal the guy. It's amazing. And they go off preaching, and people are believing in Jesus Christ like crazy. And the officials of that time are just furious. More people following them, more people following Jesus, less people following us. And so what do they do? They begin this persecution. They begin to go after them. And so they threaten them, and they imprison them. And ultimately, God miraculously opens the prison doors and sets them free. They, they go back, and they're presented before these officers, and they are beaten until they're ultimately set free. And Peter and John's response is a mark of a true disciple. The Bible says they rejoiced. They love getting beat. Of course not. It says they rejoiced because they were considered worthy to go through the things Jesus went through. It's the only way you can possibly deal with some of the things that'll come at you. It's not crazy. It works. It does. If it's happening, be encouraged that likely you're doing something right. 2 Timothy 3.12. I don't love this verse, but it can be encouraging. (laughs) Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. No persecution in your life? You do the math. Persecution in your life? I'm not talking about judgment for being foolish. We all have some of that too. Persecution for righteousness' sake. Is that in your life? It's part and parcel. A mark of true discipleship last couple of verses 26 and 27 but when the comforter is come who i will send from the father even the spirit of truth which proceedeth from the father notice what he's going to do he shall testify of me and then he turns it in verse 27 and ye also shall bear witness because ye have been with me from the beginning so in the meantime while all these things are playing out in your life allow the holy spirit of god that dwells in you to empower you and energize you to do what he does and he can do it through you and that's testify of Jesus testify of Jesus don't be ashamed of him don't be afraid just do what he says to do and live that life that way ye also shall bear witness why because the Holy Spirit will be in you and he will inspire you and he will motivate you to do what I want you to do testify of me testify of me These are the marks of true discipleship. Abide in Christ. Don't run. Love others sacrificially. Bear fruit that remains. And embrace persecution. Because there's nothing you can do about it anyway. There's nothing you can do about it anyway. Let me ask you a couple questions. Are you sure that you're saved today? I mean, nobody's going to call on you. But just in your heart of hearts, God forbid something happened and you didn't make it to tomorrow. Are you sure you'd have a home in heaven? You know, if you're not sure, you can take care of that. I mean, it's easy. Eternal life is a free gift. Jesus did it all. All you have to do is just repent, turn to him, surrender your soul, ask him to come and forgive you. But if you're here and you're saying, yeah, I did that prayer thing. Are you sure? How do you know you're sure? Do you have the marks 
of a true disciple. Because really, people who are saved are going to follow. They are. And if the marks aren't there, then, I don't know, you've got to figure it out. Can I just honestly say to you as your pastor and as your friend, there's probably somebody in this house that if you're honest with yourself, I'm not talking about any particular, I just know that in a house this big and in a time in which we live and the, some of the foolishness that we see happen all around us, even in a good church like this one, you know that there's some people here that probably are thinking, yeah, I prayed a prayer, but I'm no disciple. Those things aren't true in my life. Let me just ask you, would you have the courage today? It's Memorial Day weekend. We're talking about courage. Would you have the courage today to just admit that? Would you just say, yeah, that's been me, and I'm going to choose today to die to myself and to do what I said I would do a long time ago and really live for him. That's what I'm going to do today. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. We're going to pray.